Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Amen. Grab a seat. Howdy. Howdy. Welcome, welcome to Grace Bible Church. So glad you're here. My name is Kevin Barra. I am the college pastor here at our Southwood campus and it is Parents Weekend, people. That means that it is only a few weeks away from the end of this semester. This was this moment for you to go to your kids' apartments or dorm to see how they've actually been living over this past year and to give them a little incentive, like, hey, you've got to do something to finish strong, right? It's it's that moment. Uh, Or for some of you, you've got rings. Not wedding rings, but like, graduation ring, maybe, yeah, what, I don't know, that'd been awesome, uh, but some of you are, are uh, getting your Aggie ring, can I get a little lift up if you got it over this weekend? Yeah, exciting, exciting, exciting. Congratulations, congratulations, excited to be here with you guys, and uh, just a little bit about me, because you have no clue what your kids go to while uh, they're off in this weird land of Aggie land. Um, my name is Kevin Barra, and uh, I grew up in Houston, Texas, Katie, uh, outside of that area. This is my wife, Hillary. Uh, we were high school sweethearts, and uh, we've got four amazing kids, a six-year-old daughter named Peyton, a four, five-year-old son named Micah, how old are they? five-year-old son named Micah, a three-year-old son named Jesse, and a 16-month-old daughter named Juliet, and she they'd be happy to meet you guys um, after this time. And so in some ways, I know what it's like to be a parent. I'm on the front end of that journey, right? But I know what it's like to be a parent and to send your kid off somewhere new. I mean, and you send them off to college and you may have asked yourself this question, why am I gonna send my little baby off to this university? Have you ever wondered that? You ever ask yourself the question, why am I gonna send my kid off into this world? What are they gonna teach my baby? What are they gonna throw at them? What is gonna happen? Well, I read an article describing what you can gain at, the, at whatever university you go to. So why go to college? There's 10 reasons from this article. They may be yours, maybe it's not. One is to increase your earning potential. It's financial freedom. Parents, you gotta say amen to that, right? Gain job security, get health insurance, Get off of your dime, right? Uh, learn a valuable skill. Make lasting, meaningful connections. Yeah, yeah, get some money. Um, get support as you launch a business. Become more financially fit. You seeing a theme here? It's funny. Um, expand your career options. Number nine, meet your soulmate. Maybe, uh-huh, maybe find that one. Or just broaden your horizons. It's about the experience of being at the university. It's not about the grades, mom and dad. It's about the other things we can gain in this environment. And I'll tell you what, being a parent, it's hard to send them off. But you want them to find an education. You hope after these four years and those several thousand dollars that you're spending that they get a job. And you hope, some of you, that they will find someone to bear you many grandchildren. Like that's the goal that you're sending them off to. Maybe they'll marry an Aggie and that will be great. If you've got a freshman, you're like, ah, oh, just ease up there, buddy. Focus on your studies. But for some of you, like maybe, maybe they'll find the one. Maybe you found your wife or husband at your time here in Aggie land. What are they gonna get in that place? And I'll tell you what, it can be terrifying to send your kid off into the unknown because you don't know what that unknown is going to have. You don't. I remember I sent my, my oldest daughter to kindergarten uh, this year for the first time, public kindergarten. 
scary, right? So I sent her there hoping that she would have a great time in that kindergarten and and learn and make friends and be awesome. And, And probably about two weeks after she was there, she came home crying one day and said, there's boys chasing me around the the playground, grabbing me up and shaking me and dropping me on the ground. Now, I've never wanted to kill a kindergartner before. <laughs> but I'm a daddy who loves my daughter, and I was like, okay, there, there's going to be a conversation with some teachers on this. And about two weeks later, I find out that these boys are later arguing about whose girlfriend uh, my daughter is, all right? And that was their uh, display of affection, you know, shake the girl. And I'm like, now I'm really upset, right? <laughs> And it's scary. I mean, it's scary to send your kid off to this unknown world, not knowing what's in front of them. But I'll tell you this. Struggle is what leads to success. It's pain that leads to the path of life. It's struggle in school that's going to shape your student for something better. It is the struggle to find friends, to find community that's going to be helpful in life. Struggle is part of God's plan for your son or daughter's life. It is. But I'll tell you what, when the struggle becomes overwhelming, when the pain becomes overbearing, it can be difficult to trust God in that moment. When your son or your daughter faces pain or struggle that's overwhelming, it makes you pray different types of prayers. It makes you pray prayers like, God, what are you doing? God, why would you let my son or daughter, who I changed their diapers, experience this level of trial here? Why would you do that? But I tell you what, there's something your kid needs to find here. I don't know what you hope they find in this time in college, but there is something that we are about that we want them to find. We want them to find the person of Jesus Christ in their time in college. Because I don't know what struggle your kid is going to face. I don't know what pain they're going to encounter, but I'll tell you this. There is one who can walk through them through every struggle, through every pain, because you're not always going to be able to. You're not going to be able to hold their hand through every problem. And parents, you're seeing that in this moment. There's a moment when you've got to hand them off and your hope is they'll make good decisions, surround themselves with the right people. But I'll tell you what, there is one connection they have to make in this time in college. And that's the connection with Jesus Christ. And that's why over this semester, we've been talking about the gospel of Mark We've been marching literally through the gospel of Mark, looking at the person of Jesus so that your students might know him and love him. And students, that's why we're talking about Jesus. Because more than anything else you grab in college, I know you're gonna get a great career and meet great people and have great opportunities, but I want you more than anything else to meet and grab a hold of this person who has walked through the worst of the worst to give you the best of the best. He's taken on darkness to bring you into light. The person Jesus Christ experienced the worst pain to bring you new life. And my prayer, my hope, is that you might know him. And in the Gospel of Mark, we're at a tough spot. It's not happy and rosy at this point. It is looking at one of the the darkest moments that we ever see in the life of Jesus. And it's his moment when he marches his way to the cross. And if you have a Bible, in Mark chapter 16, let me read a couple verses for you. 
and continue with us. Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 33, it says this. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried in a loud voice, Elioi, 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 lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran to fill a sponge with sour wine to put it on a reed and give it to him to drink, saying, wait, let's see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when a centurion who stood facing him saw that it was this way, he breathed his last. Truly, he said, this man is the son of God. This moment is one of the darkest moments in the life of Jesus. And the reason is simply this. I think there's a one theme that Mark is trying to drive through this text, and it's this, that darkness, first of all, is present in our world. That there is a darkness in our world that is just present and pervasive across all of, of creation. The world isn't as it should be. And the first time I kind of really felt this in college was uh, the first night I lay in my dorm alone. I had left the, the comfort and security of my family. I have two loving parents that love me, sent me off to college, packed me up, moved me in. I lay there on the dorm. And there's that moment of like, I'm totally free. I'm totally alone. <laughs> and there's that breath of, I'm really out here. I'm really alone in the dark. See, when you see the theme of darkness in the Bible, it's to tell you something. Darkness isn't meant to be a happy moment. Darkness is described the opposite of what God brings. And in Mark chapter 14, you see that Jesus was betrayed in the darkness. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane and soldiers came to him in the darkness. They had a mistrial, a false trial in front of Pilate, or before they got to Pilate, in front of the, uh, in front of the Jewish leaders, authorities, the high priests, in the darkness. And all of these things took place in the darkness for a reason. Sin's hidden in the darkness. When things happen in the dark and they're not exposed to the light, we can do a lot more. You see, the darkness is supposed to represent what life looks like apart from God. And we see in Genesis 1.1. In Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, God, he created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void. It was literally dark everywhere. There was darkness, and then God spoke and light came. God spoke and and life began to thrive. He was the light that gave life to everything. But apart from God, we live in darkness. And, And the Bible picks up this theme. When there's darkness in the world, that means that we are separated from God. It means we're not as we should be. We're not in relationship with God. If you take a plant and you stick it in your closet away from the sunlight... It begins to disintegrate. It begins to to wilt and to die. That's how the human heart is. When we pull our life away from God and put it in some other environment, it begins to disunify, disintegrate, and eventually wither and die. And when the Bible says there is darkness in which Jesus was betrayed, there was darkness on the earth. What it's saying is there's a world that is separate from its maker. 
And it's true. In all of life, when you take yourself and remove it from God's intent, it's called sin. And sin is basically this. It's, it's, nothing, it's nothing mythical, it's nothing magical. It's simply this. It means to orbit your life around anything other than God. For parents, here's the easiest thing to orbit your life around. Your babies. It's so easy because you want the best for your kids. And students, just calm down. You'll be there eventually, right? But you've got this baby and God has given you this one. And you're like, I'm going to care and love for this. And they're going to scream every night at 3 a.m. and 5 a.m. And you're going to care for this. Like, why do I have this? You're going to care for that baby. And then you're going to raise it. And you're going to spend untold thousands of dollars on this child. You're going to send them to sports camp and dance camp and band camp and whatever camp you can possibly go to. And you're going to spend out untold thousands of dollars on this child. And it's so easy as you invest more and more into this one to become more and more consumed with this one. And what do you find as a parent? Well, you want the best for your baby. And so you're going to move away any problems. If that coach doesn't give your kid playing time, you're going to have a word with that coach, right? And you may have been on that club team, right? And some other parent wants their baby to have a starting, starting spot and not your baby. And you're just like, let's go, let's go. It's come, come to blows right here, right here on the volleyball court. It's going to happen, right? And you see parents that, that their whole life is centered around this one. And it gets really broken. A couple of years ago, there was a, uh, an article in the Dallas News, and it sparked controversy worldwide, nationwide at least, as, as this kid was let off the murder of several people because of the innocent plea of affluenza. He was too affluent. He had too much money, which was the first time this type of case had ever been argued in court. Like, my kid had, you know, too much popcorn and donuts, you know, and, and, and I just never put in boundaries because this kid orbited my entire life around. Later on, his, his mom, they tried to escape even to Mexico as he was trying to protect him from, from any harm, from anywhere, and said, when everything becomes about it, life disintegrates. This woman never thought she would be running from the authorities with her son, but it was because he was everything. You see it financially. I mean, you've seen it, men. If you think about men that you know that have lost their wives and their families based on their pursuit of this thing, like this, this all-consuming agenda to make money and make life count. I mean, you went to college and you're like, it's about a degree for an education to produce life that will thrive. And you've chased that and you've sacrificed time, money, energy, family vacations, everything on the pursuit of this financial success. And you say things like this. Well, I provide for the family. Well, I've got money now. And some of you are chasing that same pursuit that you saw dad do or mom do your whole life, centering everything around this financial pursuit. And I tell you what, when you do that, when you orbit your life around that, your world disintegrates. Life becomes chaos because you put anything in that center and it will leave you empty. So men that have lost fortunes, men that have lost families, men whose kids won't talk to them because this became so important to them. Or it's in romance. 
your entire pursuit here isn't just to get that Aggie ring, it's to get that other ring, right? It's that other education that you're really pursuing. And you're like, ring before spring, baby. Ernest Becker in a book wrote this about the romantic problem of our world. And he says this, he needed, men needed to feel heroic, to know that his life mattered in the grand scheme of things. He still had to merge himself with some higher self-absorbed meaning. If he no longer held God, how was he going to do it? One of the first ways that occurred to him was the romantic solution. The love partner becomes the divine ideal within which to fulfill one's desires. All spiritual and moral needs now become focused on one individual. In one word, the love object is God. And what do we want when we elevate the love partner to that position of God? We want redemption, nothing less. You see, we can do the same thing with love. I mean, love is good. A wife is good. A spouse is good. A girlfriend's good. A boyfriend's good. But suddenly, we, they become everything. They become all-consuming. It's, it's the girl that starts dating the guy, and then you can't ever find her again. She moves off the face of the earth. She has no more community as this one becomes everything to them. And the same can happen in our marriages. When we sacrifice everything for this one and orbit our life, Life becomes disintegrated because no one can carry the freight of your heart. No financial gain, no love partner, no child can carry the freight of your desires. And sin is taking anything and sticking it in that ultimate spot of God. And what we see with these people is is jealousy has consumed them. Their, their pursuit of power, their pursuit of, 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 of winning in this world that they were in is all-consuming, and so they have to kill Jesus because he's taking away their power. He's taking away their authority. So in the darkness, they have a mistrial, and then they bring him into the presence of Pilate. And Pilate, in this moment, talks to them. In chapter 15, verse 1, it says this, and as soon as it was morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered, you've said so. Which isn't really an answer, it's you say. Those are your words. And the chief priest accused him of many things and Pilate asked him again, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they're bringing against you. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. See, in this moment, he'd been tried in the darkness and he's brought into the light a bit. Okay, Pilate, uh, defend yourself before Pilate. Defend yourself before this man that has the authority of your life. And Jesus is silent. He says nothing. And Pilate's amazed. He's used to seeing men grovel before him, begging for their life. And Jesus literally says nothing. He lets this whole thing play out. Verse six, it says, now... At the feast, it used to be, they used to release one prisoner from whom they had asked among the rebels of the prison had committed murder. He was an insurrectionist named Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release the king of the Jews, Jesus? For he'd perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered them up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd 
to have him release Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? And they, they cried out, crucify him. And Pilate said, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him over to be crucified. This was a, a mockery of a trial. Pilate's going, what, what did he do? Give, give me something, crucify him. What, what, what did he do to you? Is there anything that he done that? And they're enraged. It was a crowd that was enraged. And what's so interesting is Pilate doesn't have anything to do with it, which is actually surprising to historians because Pilate was, was not afraid of shedding blood. He was not afraid of killing lots of people. And so for him to be at this moment saying, I don't want to have anything to do with the death of this man would have been shocking to the readers. And Matthew records it this way. It says, so when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. You do this for yourselves. And he sends them away saying, you're causing this. But the problem is this. When you do nothing, it doesn't fix anything. When you wash your hands of something and say, hey, this is up to them, this is their problem, when you do nothing, it actually doesn't fix anything. And you've seen this happen in your apartment or your dorm. So you have this rule. If you dirty a dish, you will clean the dish, right? If you, do, if you make a mess, you clean up the mess. And then something happens, like your roommate has a party, has some people over, has some fun, and they fill up the dishwasher full of dishes. And it's coming to parents' weekend, right? It's been like three weeks, and there's like, you know, small rodents crawling over the food, and, and you know, it's just absolutely horrendous. And you're like, someone's got to do something. And you all say this, well, what do you say? It's not my problem, right? I didn't do it, right? And you sit there, and you just watch this mess get bigger and bigger, and more chaos comes when people simply do nothing. See, here's what's true in life. Darkness doesn't dissipate when we do nothing. It escalates. Darkness doesn't fix itself. Something's got to happen. But Pilate, the man of authority, does nothing. He's looking to satisfy the crowd. He washes his hands of it, and it continues to devolve a mob mentality ensues. They start screaming, crucify him, crucify him. And he's led over to, the shoulder, to these soldiers and they start beating him and they scourge him and then they mock him. They put a robe on him and a crown of thorns on his head and continue to mock him. See, the mob mentality continues. It continues to escalate. Why? Because darkness is pervasive in our world. There's something broken. And when you get enough people angry enough at anything, darkness erupts. It's why you'll never hear, whenever you hear about protests or gang violence, it always ends badly. It always ends with looting or someone getting severely hurt or even killed. You never hear this. You never hear there was a, a band of 5,000 protesters angry about whatever. And then suddenly, I don't know, 
unbeknownst to everyone, they all started miraculously cleaning the streets and painting houses and, and helping old ladies cross the street. And they cooked a big meal to feed the poor. Like, you never hear that story, right? Just one time, I want to hear a bunch of angry protesters going down the streets of College Station, you know, just mad about something, some injustice, and be like, and so they took all of that rage and helped the poor and cleaned downtown Bryan and... And, and you don't ever see that. Angry mobs don't turn to loving people. The violence just perpetuates. You ever wonder why? Martin Luther says it this way. I think it's so helpful. He says what happens to an individual when they, when they choose to sin, it's called an incurvature of the soul. It's like the soul turns in on itself and only thinks of myself and it gets worse and worse, and the violence gets darker and darker and more beautiful. It's like someone is turning in on themselves, and what's really present becomes exposed. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Problem of Pain, describes what hell, in his view, is like. And he quotes from John 3.19, he says this, and this is the judgment, that light has come into the world, but people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And he comments on it, he says, we are therefore at liberty to think of a bad man's perdition, not as a sentence imposed on him, but as the mere fact of being what he is. And if a man or a woman lives eternity in darkness apart from God, that person will live eternally, becoming more and more self-centered, more and more dark. The darkness will reign. And in Romans chapter 1, God says, look, here is my passive wrath. I'm going to give you over to your desires. And in this moment, we see God giving his son over to the worst of men. And he takes the worst. I mean, it was a false trial. It was a betrayal by a best friend. It was the authorities, the people that had, to, had an opportunity to do anything, just kind of men like, I don't want any part of this. And in Mark chapter 15, verse 33... It says, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Darkness is present in our world. Then darkness was poured out on that man. He was hung on the cross between two thieves. The, the Romans had a way of uh, perfecting the art of, of prolonging death the longest they could to make an example to everyone. And they stuck Jesus up there, and as they're nailing him to the cross, darkness covers the earth, which is shocking. Some people have tried to explain this, this moment away with different things, like, oh, it was a comet that kind of covered the sun for a little bit, or maybe there was a, a solar eclipse that lasted three hours, a really long time. But no, this is, this is darkness poured out by God. For three hours, darkness covered the earth as God allowed the sun to experience the full weight of the darkness of the world. He took it all on himself. And Jesus cries out in this moment. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did you do this to me? I don't know if you've ever felt uh, alone in the dark. I remember when I was about six years old, my family took a, a trip to the beach. We went to Port Aransas, 
when you're from Texas, you take those types of beach vacations, right? And so we went to Port Aransas, which was so fun. I loved it. We didn't go anywhere cool like Hawaii, just Port Aransas. And, uh, and I, you know, I love my parents, love, you know, love being a kid, and, and I loved the beach. And so I was building sandcastles, and it was getting late and getting dark, and my parents were like, okay, we've got to go. We've got to go home. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, And so they take my sisters. They're carrying all of this stuff away, and I walk with them a little bit, and then I run back to the water, disobeying my parents, and I start playing, building sandcastles. Ha, 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 I'm amazing, right? And I'm starting building this thing. And, and all of a sudden, I look around, and it's really dark, and there's no one around me on the beach. And I turn, and I look at the condominiums that line the beach, which all look exactly alike, right? And so I go up to one condominium, and I'm like, um, have any of y'all seen like a station wagon, right? It'd be like today going, have any of you seen like an, you know, like a, I don't know, like a, a truck, you know? It'd be like everyone had a station wagon in the 80s. And so, uh, like, and they're like, what? There's a lost kid here. Like, he's freaking out. And, I, and, I, and I'm, like, I'm like, I don't know what to do. And they're like freaking out. Like, I don't know what to do. Because you feel the full weight of being alone and in the dark. And I was doing it for my mistakes. I was doing it because of my disobedience. But Jesus took the full weight of being alone for us. You see, Jesus had never been apart from the Father. He had always been in close community with the Godhead. And what's so interesting is you listen to his screams, right? He doesn't say, my hands, my hands, my feet, my feet, my head, my head. He doesn't scream about his bodily injuries. What does he scream about? My God, my God. See, he had never experienced the full weight of being separated eternally from God the Father. He had never, in all of eternity, experienced that. And in this moment, when darkness came across the earth, he experienced separation that we deserve. All of the pain of the world that we create was poured out on him at that moment. And he's there dying on the cross. He has one cry, my God, my God. This is a fulfillment of a prophecy. Isaiah 53 says it this way. For he grew up like a, like a young plant, like a root out of the ground. They're talking about the, the growing up of Jesus. He was a young boy who was born and grew up. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and esteemed not, but surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. Some 500 years before Jesus would ever step on the earth, Isaiah predicted this is exactly what's going to happen. He is crushed for us. And when you see that, that the world is full of darkness and darkness was poured out on him, there's one thing, question that you have to ask. Is there any hope? Is there anything good that can happen from this moment? Darkness is present. Darkness is poured out. But I'll tell you what, there is hope. There is something that pierces the darkness. And what what's happens with the centurion and Jesus? It says something miraculous happened. The veil was torn. 
See, in the Jewish tradition, they had a, a temple that they would go to. They would offer sacrifices. And once a year, the holiest man would enter the Holy of Holies to offer blood for the sin of all the people. In that moment, the veil was torn from top to bottom just to show you who did it. This was God's move. See, this sacrifice was about purchasing for us life. This pain was to bring us in relationship with God. This ripping of the veil was to bring all of us close to the creator of all things so that all darkness would be poured out on Jesus so that we might live in the light of life. And there's something you've got to see in this moment that the centurion saw that we have to see. It says the centurion came and he looked at him and he was astonished. Now, which would have been surprising? The centurion was a Roman soldier. He was overseeing this crucifixion. Centurions had crucified lots of people just as examples. So you and I, we don't probably watch uh, many people die. I remember uh, this past year, I went and I watched my uncle um, in his last moments of life as he was as living his last moments of life. And it's, it's hard to see. But you, you can get used to it if you've seen it enough times. This man was a hardened soldier. He had killed and overseen the killing of many people. But something about this moment shook him. It says when he saw him breathe his last, he says, surely this is the son of God. See, that phrase, son of God, was actually very popular in their culture. On every coin that they had, we have in God we trust. For them, they had the divine Caesar, the son of Augustus, the son of the divine, the son of God. On every coin they had, they would call the the Roman emperor the son of God, the son of the divine. It was part of their cultic worship of the, the, the city of Rome. And he says, I'm not talking about that person. That was the son of God. Why? Well, the only thing I can give to you is that you saw this man die in love. He didn't die cursing. He didn't die complaining. He died loving. And when you see someone pour out their life in love, it impacts you. You see, he died loving God and loving us. Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. What was the joy? It wasn't the cross. It was you. It was seeing that he was going to bring people into relationship with him. And when you see someone sacrifice for love, it should affect you. Disney knows this, right? So I've got young kids, and so we live in Disney movies, right? And there's one movie that was, came out several years ago, and my kids absolutely loved it. They couldn't put it down. They wanted to watch it again and again and again, and it was called Frozen, right? And you may be thinking, Kevin, just let it go, but I won't. <laughs> because there's something remarkable here, and Disney tapped into it. When you see this one sister, Elsa, she had all of these gifts that she couldn't control, and she became chaos, Right? I mean, the whole world gets frozen because she can't control these powers and chaos ensues and covers their little world of Arendelle. But what thaws a frozen heart? Does she need a boyfriend, a donkey? No. A reindeer? An Olaf? No. What thaws her heart? When she sees the sacrifice of her sister in an act of love, that's what thaws her heart. 
love. New movie came out, Moana, right? So my kids love this. I've watched it countless times. You probably haven't seen it. That's fine. You'll sing the songs later on, Moana. Um, it's Polynesian in flavor. And you see this girl. She, she grows up, and she has this island that she loves, these people that she loves, her family. But she also knows that in order to save them, she's got to go out on her own. And you watch this girl in a journey of love give herself to save her family. She puts a little heart in an island. It's kind of awkward, but, but the purpose of it is love. In our nation, the highest honor we can give our military leaders is the Purple Heart. And we give it to people that have sacrificed their self for us. You see, all in our culture, all in our world, we celebrate men and women, people that give of themselves in an act of love. It is the greatest demonstration of love. In fact, Jesus said something about that, right? Greater love has no one than this. The man would lay down his life for his friends. And he took it even a step further. He laid down his life for his enemies. He laid down his life for people cursing him. And what we don't have in our text, but we do see in other presentations of this gospel, is Jesus' mom watching this. He was born, and she treasured all of these things that she heard from the angel in her heart. And she came all the way to the crucifixion, and she watches her son die. And I wonder what that mama was thinking. I can't believe he gave it all. but she wasn't the only one there watching. God the Father had to watch the sacrifice of his son. And he knew the cost. He said, boy, you're doing this for me. And you're doing this for them. You give it all so that they might be brought in. And that joy was worth the sacrifice. Do you know Jesus? He gave it all for you because he loves you. Because he wants to bring you in a relationship with the Father. Because he wants to give you new life. And he wants your son or daughter to know him and to represent him in this dark world because there's a world hemorrhaging in darkness that needs the light of the gospel. And my prayer is that your son or your daughter would know this Jesus and spread his great fame to the world. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you so much for, uh, for your great sacrifice. And it's not a sacrifice we deserve, but it's a sacrifice you willingly paid. You laid down your life in our place for our sins that we might know you, Jesus, and walk with you for a lifetime. I know there's so many parents here that want the best for their kids, but I pray they would trust their son, their daughter into your hands. And Lord, I pray for us, for the college students here, that we might see your son, see the death that he died, and we might receive the son if we don't have him, and that we might live a life following him. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
Hello, and welcome to the Grace College Podcast. My name is Kevin Barra. And I'm Jacob Smith, and we are just glad that you've joined us as we basically look a little bit deeper into our talks and, and look down the road at what's coming up in our ministry. That's right, and we are fast approaching the end of the semester oh, as well as the end of our sermon series. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. On the life of Christ. Yeah, which was really fun. So the, the end of the semester is always signaled by family weekend. That's kind of, <laughs> it's sort of the 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 final bell, of uh-huh. kind of the last road marker as we begin to approach finals. It's that last opportunity for parents to intervene in the students' lives <laughs> yes, the before last, finals the last chance. and go, to, how have you been living uh-huh. over it's, the past It's your year. final, like, big grocery trip and yeah. Target experience. Like, it's the last time you really get to stock up on soup mm-hmm. uh, and canned meat. Uh, but we... Uh, had a lot of parents yesterday, which was super fun so yesterday fun. morning. Um, we had a breakfast at Anderson. You guys had lunch at Southwood. We did. Because, um, you know, parents need to eat. It's just part of That's why they're here. part of life. Families need food. So we had just a blast. Like it was – it's always just a, a different kind of flavor to look at, especially the crucifixion of Christ where mm. essentially the culmination of the story is – God the Father turning his back on mm-hmm. his son in this mysterious, miraculous moment yeah. where the wrath of God is poured out upon Jesus Christ. And having dads there, like as dads, we right. feel it, right? But even like having a bunch of dads there. You mean the joy of in the to, audience pouring your wrath out on your children <laughs> right yeah everyone's like whoop it everyone's like, yeah, that's right sometimes you got to no. uh, but yeah it's just it's just a different sort of feel and it's just mm. yeah it's it's one of those stories that i mean obviously there's a lot to it the crucifixion of christ but that's one of those angles that just parent weekend family weekend really i don't know it really just sort of hit home for us or for yeah. me especially yeah well it, it was fun about uh talking about mark chapter 15 and uh the the crucifixion of christ if there is something fun about it <laughs> the the good part about it is to but it, because it landed on parents weekend obviously jesus's mother's at the crucifixion yeah. um the father as as you said jacob is is, is obviously watching this this play out with his yeah. son giving his life and uh, actually, you know, is it was great to be able to talk to that at Southwood, and and kind of direct some of the message at parents and know how challenging it is to watch your kids struggle both in school, and and in the world, and just to mm-hmm. know that there actually is hope um, in the struggle because we have the Savior Jesus Christ who suffered in our place for our sins for us, and and so I, I tried to give some give some hope really on this message, but, mm. uh, no hope, no, no hope on Anderson. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> no, that's true. We only don't hope too, but, yeah. uh, it's still, yeah, it's just a different, um, yeah, it's just a, it's just a different viewpoint to, right. to have families there. And yeah, but it was super fun. I, I love getting to meet all these families that are, you know, the reason that most of the kids are there is because they had these mm-hmm. families that in some way set them on a path or, or helped them mm-hmm. out or, or showed them kind of the, the way to walk with the Lord and, it's just it's an honor to have them come and yeah. see what their kids are a part of, to see their kids really owning the faith that yeah. maybe they had just been sort of taught. I know that, you know, 16 years, I hope and pray that my daughter is at a church, and I just know that I would love the opportunity to get to go and see what she's a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, anyway, we're we're always – it's always fun to do it. And they just hear and also see everyone get super embarrassed when their parents start talking <laughs> about <laughs> different aspects of childhood. 
I definitely uh, heard some very embarrassing stories about some of our freshmen in particular, for whatever reason. Love <laughs> it was that. Good. It was great. Lots of ammo. Arrows for my quiver. <laughs> but it was good. But yeah, so, so coming up, we are, uh, like you said, we're hitting the home stretch. And part of that means that next week, even uh, Easter Sunday, we won't have college services. We are um, off. We're off at Anderson and Southwood. We'll have... Uh, we'll be combining with our family services, so we'll still be at church in the morning, but um, we'll be combined with sort of the, the church as a whole. It's just, it's a perfect Sunday to really just join together as yeah. one big united body to to look at Easter Sunday and say he is risen indeed all together and That's wear right. sundresses and yeah, hats. Yeah, I, I think uh, we, I we all plan on our Easter outfits. I, I guarantee you that my wife has a... <laughs> dress picked for my daughter as we speak i know it's there and right it's probably so very very pastel so fun yeah and uh the last thing we got last announcement we got is that we are doing baptisms um at southwood it's going to be april 23rd and so if you uh are listening to this and would like to participate in baptism we would love to do that there's an application process but if you contact us um we will get that information to you and and do that anderson's going to be doing them on may 7th yeah and uh, so you got a little bit more time uh, uh-huh. on Anderson to, to do that. But, gosh, it's been a phenomenal semester at kind of a, at both of our campuses. And we are so thankful to, uh, to have you on this part of the podcast. Yep. Thank you so much. Have a great Easter. Mm-hmm. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Have a great week.